Howdy, this is Jim Rutt, and this is The Jim Rutt Show. This is a Currents episode. Currents are shorter and less heavily produced than our full-length episodes and generally focus on a single topic. As always, references to online resources mentioned in the episode will be available on the episode page at jimruttshow.com. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. It's somewhat annoying, but a fact of the podcasting ecosystem that getting many good ratings increases our visibility on the apps, which helps us build our audience which lets us continue to get the great guests that we have on the show. So please, when you're done listening today, give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, folks. Today's guest is Bill Ottman. He's CEO of a company called Minds.com, also known as Minds. And they build themselves as the leading alternative social network, an open-source, community-owned social network dedicated to privacy free speech, monetization, and decentralization. Welcome, Bill. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is good and very timely. It's, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, it feels like the world wants to just choke uh, free speech and honest discourse right now. And uh, some of my uh, listeners know I was a victim of a ban, me, uh, myself, and two admins for the Game B group on Facebook. We got whacked on Friday. You know, we stirred up a major shitstorm over on Twitter and got, I don't know, several million people raising hell. And uh, we pushed some buttons of people we knew in Facebook and got reinstated. But most people, 99.9%, that get whacked by Facebook, they're just screwed. Ain't not damn thing they can do about it. And this is becoming more and more common. It's amazing the number of, of stories we've heard. Uh, so, but before we get down into into those tales, why don't we start by uh, you telling us what Minds is and how is it different than uh, other social network platforms? Yeah, so we basically do everything the opposite, <laughs> the way that big tech platforms do. So they are based on surveillance in order to monetize. Um, we don't do any of that. We don't have any proprietary spyware ads. Um, we monetize in a completely different way where we actually share our revenue with the users. And we have a membership model, Minds Plus, and we, and we take that revenue and we proportionally share it with the users who help drive the most popular content. And we're fully transparent. So the big tech networks don't share any of their code. So you can't see what the algorithms are doing. We are fully open source. Anyone can inspect our code. Anyone can take our code and start their own social network with, with our code. And, and we encourage that um, because that creates more of a decentralized ecosystem. Uh, additionally, yeah, we're community owned. So we raised our first running fun, funding round a million dollars from over 1,500 members of our community. And so we're just creating a much more people-powered ethos. And we're also trying to decentralize our infrastructure so that you know we can't get taken down. Now, that's sort of a progressive process. Um, it's, it's not going to happen all at once, but we're making really important moves in that direction. And yeah, it, we're, we're just seeing that that 
deplatforming is is hitting so many different demographics right now. On the left and the right, people try to politicize this issue, but it's really not political. Yep. That, you know, uh, for, for instance, our Game B group is explicitly neither Team Red nor Team Blue. We have people from both. And in fact, we don't even allow discussion of what we call Game A politics uh, on our group. Uh, so they whacked us for other reasons that had nothing to do with our polarization along the axis, which is even scarier in some sense. It is. It, it, it seems that anyone who is anti-authoritarian gets whacked. If you use the wrong word, even if you're being sarcastic, you get whacked because their AI doesn't care. <laughs> Either way, it can't detect sarcasm. Um, I mean, there was an instance on YouTube where any comment critical of the Chinese Communist Party got got banned. And then they said, oh, it was a mistake. And But at the end of the day, because we can't see the code, we can't know what they're really doing. And this isn't to say that you know most people aren't going to inspect the code, that, but the principle of it being open so that developers who want to inspect the code can, and then, you know, open up their audit for the world, that's that's the type of environment that we really need. Otherwise, we have to take their word for it, and they're just never going to be straightforward with us. And, and truthfully, things like, uh, you know, trained uh, deep learning neural nets trained on vast amounts of data uh, are in, inherently opaque, right? All they are is pattern matchers. We, we know that you can, you know, train a deep learning neural net to distinguish cats from dogs 99% of the time, but then you can also cleverly design a pattern of static that will make the same neural net think it's a dog. It's, I mean, these things are not semantic. They're mm -hmm. uh, kind of statistical aggregators. Uh, so anything that's based on a deep learning trained uh, network is really much more dependent on the data than it is on the code. And of course, the big platforms have all the data. That's interesting you guys are open source. That is very cool. Uh, most people don't know this, but Reddit was open source for a long time. In fact, a group of us uh, took a fork of Reddit back in 2013 and built our own platform, added a bunch of uh, improvements to Reddit, uh, and tried to launch it. We were we made a bunch of mistakes, didn't go anywhere, but, it, but I still have a copy of it. Anybody wants uh, 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 some you know, 2013 uh, copy of Reddit? But it was very interesting to be able to go through the code and see how they did what they did. It, you know, it made you understand that they, at least at that time, uh, weren't playing many tricks. Their little rating systems were astoundingly simple-minded. Uh, but it was kind of uh, comforting to know that they were astoundingly simple-minded. simple, simple So I commend you guys for doing open source. Uh, where's it, where is it at? Is it up on GitHub or, or, or what have you? Yeah, just go to developers.minds.com. We use GitLab, which is actually, or gitlab.com slash minds. So GitLab is like the open source alternative to GitHub. Uh, GitHub, ironically, isn't open source, despite the fact that it hosts most of the open source software in the world, and now they're owned by Microsoft. And it's, you know, even they're having censorship issues over there. I think that they banned this open science uh, library. I, I forget exactly. I forget exactly. Oh, no, it was, a, it was an open source tool for downloading YouTube videos so that you could back up your full YouTube library. But, uh, you know, because some people were using that code for piracy, uh, GitHub took down the repo, which is, I mean, it's just not acceptable. I mean, just because a piece of code can be used in a certain way, that doesn't mean that, that I mean, 
you could use that argument for for a number of different software projects. So it's just a really dangerous path. And GitLab seems to have their principles uh, locked down more so than GitHub. And, and just to uh, close that with what you were saying about Reddit, you know, I would credit much of their initial growth because they were open source and they were very pro free speech early on. And they really got the gamer community, the hacker community, uh, concentrated. And since then, this is the sad thing that happens to companies as they grow, which I'm 100% committed to avoiding, is that they just abandon the principles. And, you know, to to pull the rug out from underneath everyone who was working on the code at Reddit and, um, you know, building subreddit communities that may have had some edgy humor or whatever. It's just, it's sad to see that happen. And um, I don't know. I, I, I The only way to really avoid that is for the companies to engineer the power out of their own hands, which is what we're trying to do because corruption will inevitably leak in. So you need to really build tools that prevent that by their very nature. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even a shit ass like uh, Zuckerberg was probably a good guy at some point. But, uh, uh, you know, you, you have absolute power with nobody having any recourse over you at all. And God knows where you end up going in your head and where he's gone is not a very good place, unfortunately. And, yeah, the story of Reddit and its lost opportunity is, is, is a warning for us all. Uh, interesting. Well, let's uh, drill down to some of the other aspects that you enumerated about uh, Minds, uh, that it's dedicated to privacy. What do you mean by that? So we don't require any personal information to make an account. Uh, certainly, you don't have to identify yourself. We firmly believe in the right to anonymity. Granted, sure, there there are some problems that arise with rampant anonymity and trolling can can be an issue with that and people f- sort of feel like they have this shield but at the same time i mean even the un has come out firmly in support of you know the right to encryption and anonymity and the, these bi- cybersecurity experts across the board typically agree that this is a fundamental right even if there are certain risks that come with it. And so, yeah, I mean, we just, we don't require the information in in terms of our messenger. We don't even have access to the content of the chats. It's encrypted and we have a huge upgrade coming with the messenger um, soon. And so, yeah, it's just the principle of wanting less information and any information given is fully with the consent of the user. Now, this course goes, this battle goes back 40 years. I remember I was the product man, one of the two product managers for one of the earliest systems that might have been called social media, something called Participate in 1982, running on the source, the world's first consumer online service. And uh, we had a version that had anonymity in it. And it quickly turned into a shit shit show, unfortunately. Uh, And so we killed it. And we went back to requiring people to have a stable identity. Um, and, uh, you know, I understand where you're coming from on, you know, I call it philosophical grounds, but on practical grounds, uh, I'm not so sure. And in fact, what I'd like 
as a possible answer to that is uh, the in-between state known as pseudo-anonymity, where you have an identity manager who's a third party and a uh, trusted fiduciary who makes sure that each pseudo-identity only has a one-to-one correspondence to an actual person. Uh, So you don't know who the person is, but you know that uh, it's it's a person that's been verified and a you know know your customer level, uh, and hence you can hold them accountable at least against their other online utterances uh, for the behavior of that uh, pseudo anonymity. Have you guys looked down looked at that road? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think decentralized reputation is something we've been looking really closely at, and there's a there's a really cool project that we just spoke to called bright ID and they are totally open source and they create these identity verifications where people vouch for each other, but there is no need for some sort of trusted third party who is handling sensitive personal information. That's where we are really trying to find a unique path uh, through this problem because you don't who that trusted third party is is very important you, you you don't want just some centralized party that is you know housing massive amounts of personal information because we don't want to fuel that that that's just creating another surveillance monster so absolutely pseudonymity i mean but even twitter allows anonymous accounts you know i i, I think that there, there are risks. You need really good moderation tools. You need to make sure that people can't get harassed and whatnot. But you know, I, I, I agree with you ultimately. Yeah, it's an interesting and difficult problem uh, because on one end, it appears that real name IDs, on average, produces better quality discourse, uh, and total anonymity uh, tends to produce considerably higher rates of, you know, bot attacks. Uh, you know sock puppets and uh, just generally bad uh, ecosystem behavior and, you know, and maybe pseudonymity properly adjusted with network reputation might be enough, be certainly worth exploring. Just, just to quickly uh, finish that thought, we, most people on Minds, I would say, identify themselves. So it's not as if it's this place where you, you have to be anonymous. I, I think that there's there's a balance and some people are synonymous some people are anonymous some people identify themselves and yeah i i I think that with rating systems ways for bad actors to get punished who are actually being malicious you know all of those things can sort of work together yeah i think i agree that's a great area for experimentation Well, let's now get down to the hot button of the moment, Uh, free speech. You guys put yourself out explicitly as a free speech platform. What does that mean to you? And how do you deal with the inevitably fraught issues around moderation? Yeah, so we have a First Amendment-based content policy. And with some edge case exceptions with malicious spam or or harassment, obviously threats of violence uh, are not allowed. So based on the research that we have compiled, censorship can actually cause more violence and radicalization 
than um, free speech, which is counterintuitive, but this is what data actually shows because when people get banned, they get angry. And so we partnered with Daryl Davis, who famously de-radicalized over 200 members of the KKK as a black man, essentially by befriending them and over a long period of time engaging in civil discourse. And, you know, that's the raw data that shows transformation is possible in an open environment. And there's, there's no doubt that the the mass censorship occurring on big tech is fueling the polarization and divide in society today. So the question is, how do we have a free speech environment that is under control and safe to a degree? And so we have robust moderation tools, uh, filtering tools and blur tools for more explicit content Uh, We have a jury system that we're rolling out that is currently in production for appeals. So if we make a mistake with our moderation, then the user has a chance to appeal. And then the appeal goes to a randomized selection of 12 active users and they they vote on whether or not the the case is in, in lines with our terms. But we're going to be moving the jury to a you know, full public feed of content and users where we can leverage the power of the crowd to categorize content, uh, you know, potentially report it, but it, it will have to reach different levels of consensus in order for the tags to be applied to the content. And yeah, so, but but ultimately we know that censorship causes violence. I mean, there's even been studies out of nature, uh, George Washington University, that they clearly show this. There's almost no evidence that censorship works on a holistic level for the internet. What we know is that, okay, in an isolated community, sure, you can try to ban certain users, but then what happens? Those users just go to another network. This The internet is a community and people are going to find a way to say what they want to say. So we we really have to ask ourselves, uh, what's the best way to approach this? And what we're hoping is that our program will get adopted by other networks, and then all the different social networks aren't necessarily working against each other. Mm-hmm. That makes uh, makes sense. Uh, you know, though, again, I'd, I'd also say that it's important to think about kind of a hierarchy of the rules. Like, for instance, I would support... Uh, a uh, quite open interpretation of free speech for the platform itself, so the equivalent of Facebook or Minds.com. On the other hand, I noticed that Minds, I did log on, created a uh, uh, username with my actual name in view, uh, has groups uh, and uh, has long struck me, and this goes back again to the 80s, uh, that groups really ought to be encouraged to have their own group norms. You know, if you're a, a, a group uh, dedicated to, you know, antique Packard owners and a bunch of Cadillac owners show up and start <laughs> talking smack, you ought to be able to boot them, right? Oh, you can. You can. That, Yeah, absolutely. And, and so it's up to my mind, those are two very different things, which is a platform, which should be thought of as more or less a common carrier, uh, and then affinity groups, which should be able to produce have any norms they want, reasonable or otherwise. 
Completely agree. We believe in user control and community control to the max. So if you have people who are trolling your posts that you created, you can, you know, kick them out. You can kick them out of your groups. That is totally reasonable. Yeah, that's interesting. I was, uh, you know, on a uh, pod, somebody else's podcast yesterday. They had a Q&A format and there was one person that was going, oh, but you kick people out of your group. And I go, yeah, we do. We have a very explicit, though short list of norms. You violate our norms, we'll boot you. But we're not holding ourselves out as a platform. We're holding ourselves out as an affinity group. And those are two fundamentally different animals. Sure. And even if there was a platform that wanted to be the cat lover social network, I think that that's why Section 230 exists is to give platforms the ability to to moderate. You know, there's sort of a misperception about 230 and that it means that a platform necessarily has to be neutral. Now, I, I, I so. Ultimately, if we want the internet to calm down, I I do think that more free speech policies across the board are healthy. But, uh, you know, in forcing platforms to allow people that are completely irrelevant from what they're trying to accomplish is, you know, I, I don't think that that necessarily makes sense. But with Twitter, Facebook, big tech, you know, they really did market themselves as open commons and they fueled their growth with all of these users. And they were fine with all of this content for dec- over a decade. And now suddenly they're acting like they have moral high ground when really it's just a, um, it, it, it's a, it's a farce. I mean, they don't actually care about these issues. They're just um, bowing to political and social pressure when they know most likely that the data shows they are fueling the radicalization in the world, not the alternative platforms who are dealing with their dirty laundry. Exactly. They, uh, you know, the, especially Facebook, it has these relentless optimizing uh, algorithms to try to point you to the content that stirs you up the most, right? Uh, and it, and again, it's a, a no-brain, uh, deep lear- uh, deep learning neural net that has knows nothing about semantics. All it knows is other people react to this, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, no wonder people are agitated. And you know, again, it's secret. They won't tell you what it is. They won't let you turn it off. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it is the center of the shit show. I have no doubt about it in my mind. We're working on a, a, a positive intervention chat widget, which hopefully can help people who want to burst their echo chambers, uh, with, a, a path to talk to someone on the other spot, other side of the spectrum. Uh, and it can also work for people who have mental health issues or people who are contemplating suicide and, it it just is so obvious that the big networks are not making an honest effort to to help uh, from a psychological perspective that the community it, it would be so easy to have a widget for someone who is um feeling depressed or feeling uh just angry there's there are people who want to talk and this is what we're really doing with Daryl in our deradicalization initiative 
is helping pair people to say you're a Republican and you want to talk to a, a rational Democrat, like reframing the experience of social media so that maybe the point of it is to find somebody who you can respectfully disagree with and have a conversation, not just reinforce your own deeply embedded ideology. I, I think that if, if people join knowing that there's humanity on the other side of the uh, computer monitor, it, it, it can really help rather than this sort of rage bait metastasization of you know division in society. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, one little platform I like, uh, I don't know if you've even heard of it, it's called letter.wiki. And it encourages people of different points of view to have a sober and slow exchange of public letters uh, about whatever they want. And I've seen some, I've participated in some, some amazing conversations of people that you would imagine would have a hard time uh, interacting civilly on uh, Facebook or Twitter on letter.wiki because of the, you know, the framing of the site. Uh, it's entirely different. It's a wonderful site, which I encourage people to check out. Oh, this is great. Yeah, I see Noam Chomsky, um, Ayan Hirsi Ali. Oh, there's some great thinkers over here. Coleman Hughes. Oh, wow. I'm going to check this out. I'm excited. Yeah, that's a, re that's a really wonderful site. Uh, and so uh, to recap your current moderation model, um, how does something, you know, let's say it you know, violates one of the corner cases that you've explicitly ruled out, maybe doxing. I don't know if you have a rule against doxing. It's one I probably would have on my network if I owned one. We do have a rule against doxing. And so, so there are, but you know, there's a spectrum within doxing. Um, but there, yes, that would be one of the edge cases that we, we are not okay with. And so that's where you know, the first amendment acts as sort of a guiding light, but you know, when someone is maliciously attacking the network or, you know, putting someone at risk, it's, it's outside of, you know, we're not going to get a court order for that. But there, there, there are these sets of principles that have been outlined by digital rights groups. For instance, the Manila principles and the Santa Clara principles, which were drafted by the Electronic Frontier Foundation and many other digital rights groups and they the manila principles for instance states that digital intermediaries shouldn't censor content or users without a court order so that is more of a pure strategy which is not necessarily scalable for something like a social network where there are all of these these edge cases and then the Santa Clara principles go into all sorts of standards around transparency in your moderation uh, policy, transparency in the code and um, reporting requirements for um, you know all of your takedowns and and whatnot. So you know, I think that we really look at things on a case by case basis. And this is what's being lost on big tech. They just have these blanket policies that don't look into the nuance involved in every specific situation. So, but, but con context is everything when it comes to speech. So what I would say for our moderation 
process holistically is that we're we're much more patient and specific about each report. So take me through the process. Let's say, you know, Joe Blow publishes uh, a post that's clearly unambiguously first degree doxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a re- is there a, a reporting button on each post or some mechanism for user uh, self uh, uh, surveillance of, for bad actors or, or how, did, how would that come to the attention of the moderation team? Yep, there's a report button on every post and on every page. Okay, so then it gets it goes someplace, and then what? A human yes. looks at it and says, "No, nope, not not a not a violation," or "Yes, let's think about this further." Correct. So currently, we have a moderation team that is going through those, and then if the moderation team makes a decision that the user then thinks is wrong, then it goes to the appeal jury. We ultimately want to bring the first layer in the initial report to some sort of a jury, but you we're still gathering data because th- there are certain risks that come with that. If you open up that process to the crowd and we just need to be very sensitive about how we move forward with that because, um, you know, some of it is pretty edgy content and you don't necessarily want to be, spreading that further, particularly in cases where it's potentially unlawful content. So, uh, but, you know, bringing in legal teams and, and, and getting a diverse group of thinkers on the moderation team and, you know, different levels of users, certainly like more established, trusted users to be members of the jury. These are all things that we're, that we're looking at. Uh, I got a little idea I'm going to throw out for for you, give it to the world, give it to you on the reporting button, uh, which, as you know, from a game theoretical perspective, can be used abusively, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Ah, go have, uh, you know, your mob of uh, 300 people all go report all the people in that mob, right? And so I came up with the following fix, which is uh, have a price to report. Let it start out to be something reasonable like a dollar. Anytime you make a report, and it's turned down, uh, your price for your next report doubles. Uh, Every time you have a report and it is upheld, your price falls in half. Uh, So if you're a person that's making false reports very quickly, it's going to start costing you 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks uh, to make a report, and you're going to stop. On the other hand, if it turns out you're actually a high-fidelity person and you're almost always right, then your price might get down to a penny, in which case uh, you will have uh, you know, no friction at all because you operate in good faith and uh, what you report is uh, validated by the back-end process. So there's an automatic algorithm that might be a good way to defend the report button from the obvious game theoretic uh, forms of abuse that exist. Absolutely. I think that, that there's a lot of value there. So I, I wouldn't necessarily put a cost in for the first report, but I really do like the idea of of adding a price for people who repeatedly are wrong. That's, you know, in civil resistance, you're adding a, a, a financial disincentive is, uh, yes, from a game theoretic perspective, super effective. This is, you know, how Bitcoin works in a way. People are disincentivized financially to be wrong uh, in the mining process. 
I would take it a step further though with with the jury system for people who are repeatedly correct we reward with tokens we currently do that now so i think that you can also apply incentives for being right to leverage more crowd power even better because that way you're you know you're going beyond just minimizing the cost you're providing an actual positive feedback for good behavior I, that's that's lovely i love that which gets us to our next topic uh you guys are, uh, you have some monetization built into your system. Truthfully, I didn't have enough time to dig into it to see how it works. Uh, you know, tell us how that works. Do you have your own, uh, you know, token or, you know, uh, talk about monetization on the platform. Yeah. So this is really, to me, the most exciting and evolutionary thing that we're doing with regards to typical social networks. And I think that for a social network to really break through and hit critical mass, okay, yeah, it has to have the ethical stuff really locked down, but it also just has to dig right into human nature and have financial incentive. I, The social networks of the future, whether it's us or not, are going to be paying the users aggressively it's just, it's going to be a requirement. So we have a few different options, both with dollars or uh, whatever your local currency is and cryptocurrency. So first to talk about the dollar stuff, Mines Plus, which is five or seven bucks a month, depending on if you pay upfront, is a membership where you get access to all the exclusive content on the site, and you also get the ability to submit content to it. And if your content that you submit is popular, you get paid out each month. So we're taking 25% of the revenue that we're getting from Minds Plus and proportionally sharing it with the users who are producing popular content within Minds Plus. So when you go to make a post on Minds, there's an option on it that says monetize. So if you click that button and post it into Minds Plus, then you have a chance to, to earn revenue from that. The, the analogy would be, imagine if Netflix allowed you to upload a video that you made to Netflix. And if it performed well on Netflix, you got paid out at the end of the month. Of course, YouTube sort of has that. They have that with ads. So the way that they are fueling that monetization, which is effective, is with surveillance-based ads. Yeah. They're not... So, so yes, they are sharing their revenue, but it's, it's not based on... The revenue source is from the ads. It's not from the membership revenue. Yeah. And that's a big distinction. You know, I, I go, as I mentioned, way back in the online world, long before advertising uh, was economically feasible because networks and computers were too damn expensive, right? You needed a higher density of uh, revenue and everything was, uh, you know, subscription based or even hourly based in the early days. And truthfully, the ecosystems were much healthier in those days because people paid for a product and they got a service. Uh, today, you are the product, right? When you use something like YouTube or uh, Google or Facebook, uh, they're attempting to monetize you through advertising. And I believe that is damn close to the root uh, of the, uh, you know, essentially the generator function on why especially things like Facebook and Twitter are just so rotten because they have 
adopted this advertising only model. And I've long encouraged people to build a Facebook competitor that charged $5 a month uh, and no ads. It sounds like that's what you, that's, that's what we're doing. That, that is exactly what we're doing. Now we do have ads, but you can turn them off, but, and they're also not surveillance based ads. So, but I mean, absolutely what, where Silicon Valley has gone wrong is this whole idea that everything needs to be free and we just spy on people with ads in order to monetize. People will often happily pay five bucks a month for a product that brings value to their life. And they would much prefer not to be spied on um, or censored. So um, yeah, that is the fiat currency end of things. We also allow users to you know, get tips in, in cash from their supporters and fans. And you can even set up your own membership tiers so that people can support you on a monthly basis. And otherwise, we have the token system, which is built on top of the Ethereum blockchain. And so we have the mines token. And based on your engagement every day that you receive, upvotes, comments, shares, subscribers, all that kind of stuff, you have uh, a reward for each of those actions that you receive. And so every day you get uh, an allotment of tokens, which you can go to your wallet and, and see each day there's a transaction for your reward. And you can use your tokens to boost your content, tip other people, um, you know, potentially go out into the decentralized uh, exchanges and, and, and play around and bring them onto your own wallet. But we have pegged for now, and this will probably be fluctuating over time, but one token will give you a thousand views. So if you have 10 tokens, you click the boost button on your post, uh, throw in a couple tokens, and we'll boost that post for a couple thousand views around the network. And so we really want to reward the creators who are driving value on the network. In stark contrast to Facebook and others, and to me, quite frankly, this is the most offensive thing about the big tech social networks is that when you post only like 2% of your followers are even seeing your post, they have completely changed the algorithm so that even if you have a million subscribers, you may only get five likes on your post because their newsfeed algorithm based on thousands of secret variables is determining what it thinks you want to see and what your fans want to see not the other way around. So we have a raw news feed, purely reverse chronological. You, what you see is what you get. And we want to reward you with more views and give the community more real estate in the news feed. So um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's been really successful. People love the, the token rewards. And you know, Ethereum is an incredible project like Bitcoin that is, is really changing the game. So goddamn Ethereum, the transaction costs have gotten ridiculous. Last I saw, they have transaction was like ninety cents worth of gas. So we do have an off-chain system to deal with that. So you can tip on-chain and you know use your MetaMask wallet and move all your tokens and you know into your own sovereignty. But we have an off-chain system so that you can tip and you know boost with with no fees. 
Now, that's good because uh, unfortunately, Ethereum's become useless for any kind of micro payments. I warned them for a long time that the thing had, <laughs> it, it didn't, did not uh, did not have enough throughput, did not have enough uh, computational capacity. Should it be successful, they were going to fuck themselves, and they have. Well, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening with scalability in Ethereum, and 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 with Ethereum two and all of the other layer two solutions. It's going to work out. I think that it's proven a critical point about decentralized infrastructure. And you know, I if if they could have done it better from the beginning, I completely agree with you that that would have been excellent. But we sort of are where we are, and it's I I still think it's a very valuable contribution to you know sort of the new decentralized architecture of of the internet. Oh, no doubt about it. The idea of, uh, you know, contracts as code linked to a uh, transaction system was quite brilliant. Uh, But, you know, the way they implemented it, it was obvious at the time that it was a a loser if it was successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I would suggest looking at things like Cardano and uh, Holochain and, uh, you know, uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin are kind of like, you know, the you know, Christopher Columbus and Magellan of the blockchain world. There's lots of other interesting stuff out there that's frankly a lot better at this point. There is. It's interesting you bring up Cardano. I just spoke to their team and we're, we are, we're having conversations about leveraging their blockchain. But the reality is that in terms of developer tools, APIs, uh, nothing comes close to Ethereum. Like with Uniswap, everything that's happening in decentralized finance... Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, Card- Cardano is, they're taking a very patient, long-term approach and building something that's scalable, proof of stake and whatnot. But there, it is, you can hardly build on it. There, there's, there's almost no way to, to integrate with a, with a decentralized app. So, um, you know, all of these ETH killers are, are, okay, great. I hope that, I wish them all success. But at the end of the day, it's, can we build an app on your product right now? And, and almost yeah. 99% of the time, the answer is no. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, when I was a corporate CTO. You know, I always uh, counseled my uh, business unit CTOs that, frankly, the ecosystem managed, mattered more usually than the underlying technology. Uh, and, you know, that's why we would use Oracle in those days, as horrible as it was as a corporation to do business with, because they had the ecosystem, right? And the smaller players, uh, I don't even remember who the hell their names are these days, but back in the 90s, there were definite competitors for Oracle that in technical sense were better, but they didn't have the ecosystem around them. Mm-hmm. So I understand. Uh, all right, let's go on. And we're getting a little techie here. Let's go on to the next level. Uh, in our pre-show discussion, you talked about the fact that uh, uh, your your back end is decentralized as well. You know, before I came on, I looked you guys up on W3 Techs and found out you used AWS for your hosting. Uh, as we know, that can be a dangerous choice. Talk a little bit about uh, how you've taken care of uh, decentralization on the back end. Sure. So, yeah, seeing AWS come after Parler, certainly a scary thing. Now, I have heard some things that they were sort of ignoring the requests of Amazon for like months leading up uh, to what ultimately happened, which I, you know, I I don't have 100% confirmation on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want to be reliant on any specific cloud 
for a number of reasons. You know, you don't want vendor lock-in. That's not a safe thing for any company, regardless of censorship concerns. Um, there, there are fiscal concerns with with being locked in as well. So, we our backend is our backend database is Cassandra, which is if you go to apache.cassandra.org, uh, you can check it out. It's a NoSQL database, and it is decentralized. So it's not decentralized in the sense of like Bitcoin, where you know all of our community is is running a node. But the nodes and clusters, you know, are are decentralized in nature. And so, what we built is a multi-cloud Kubernetes Cassandra clustering system with a, a framework called Terraform. So we are our database is currently live in multiple clouds, not just AWS. And so, so we are cloud agnostic. And if any of them did take us out, it, it wouldn't matter. Um, same with Elasticsearch, which is our sort of another quasi database, but it's the search uh, backend we're using. Um, and, you know, it also has multi-cloud capabilities. So, you know, it's not fully peer-to-peer in the sense of, and we actually do want to get there. We we want to get to the point where a user can download an app uh, on, on their machine and help support the network sort of, you know, quasi-BitTorrent type system. And and we, we also have, um, we leverage a, a blockchain called Arweave, which is an amazing project backed by like Andreessen Horowitz, surprisingly, um, which is a decentralized content storage system. And so when right now for text and images, you, there's an option when you're making a post to post it to Arweave or aka the Perma Web, And they sort of have this decentralized node structure that is hosting content and they've like completely backed up Wikipedia and archive.org and, and are, are trying to build sort of a uncensorable library of Alexandria and um, they're fully open source and it, it really, really exciting stuff. So we, we have uh, them working in the back end as well. And, and we're, we're just trying to leverage the the projects with good ecosystems and developer tools uh, because th- there's so many projects that try to claim that you know they're the solution they're they're the killer blockchain that's that's gonna you know take over the internet and but at the end of the day you know if our dev team can't build into it qu- quickly it's just it's it's smoke and mirrors and so yeah, but I think that the cloud agnostic uh, multi-cloud situation we have now is 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 exciting and it, it definitely differentiates us from a lot of centralized social networks who just have typical centralized databases that, that cannot coexist in multiple clouds. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm glad you guys did that work. That gives you at least one level of safety. It's interesting you, you guys chose Cassandra because I mentioned the... Uh, Reddit uh, open source version. Uh, Cassandra also does most of the heavy lifting in Reddit as well, which hmm. uh, is kind of uh, interesting. Though they were not using it. It's not quite true. They were using it in the fan out replication server mode uh, just to build horizontal capacity, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we did too in our 
little system. We had three AWS servers and had uh, three Cassandras running uh, coherently. So uh, yeah, that's a good choice for that particular application. So now, you know, we talk about choke points. Unfortunately, there's choke points all the way up and all the way down, right? Uh, you guys got into the news, I don't know, a few days back with Google threatening you with a 24-hour warning to do something about your app or they'll take you out of the app store, goddammit. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've had we've had issues with Google over the years. Basically, we got around it. Uh, we had to limit a bunch of a bunch of functionality on the app. Unfortunately, we had to basically remove search from that version of the Android app. Now you can go to minds.com/mobile and download the Android app directly from Minds, which is the full version. Um, but this is just the sad reality of the centralized app stores. You know, Apple does similar things. We've, we've had issues with them for some of our blockchain tech that they wanted us to remove. And, you know, we had another issue with Google, which we resolved as well, uh, where they took us down from the store for like six months, a a couple of years ago because of some sort of quasi explicit image. And then I eventually emailed them an appeal. I said, don't you guys realize that Reddit allows full out? I mean, uh, sorry, Twitter allows full out pornography, which is a true thing that most people don't realize. Like I'm not necessarily recommending it, but if you go dig through Twitter, you will find all out pornography and that is okay in their terms. And so I emailed Google and I said, how are you not banning Twitter? if you're basically suspending us for this rather tame image and they reinstated us like a day later. Uh, But what if they're their goddamn business, what your business model is? That just pisses me off, right? Why should two companies owned by peculiar oligarchs have the ability to define how business is done on the nets? This is just repugnant uh, at every level. And as much as a net libertarian as I used to be, I'm, you know, reluctantly coming around to the view that these people that have these excessive choke points on the nets, you know, need to be uh, collared in some fashion so they can't just arbitrarily decide what constitutes a reasonable business model. I mean, what, who the hell made them God, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, but, but I don't think traditional antitrust is going to do the trick. I agree. It's common carrier plus regulation. Uh, If you have a sufficient market share in what could be constituted the public square, then you should be deemed a common carrier. You know, the phone company Mm. is a common carrier. They cannot tell you you can't talk about uh, cats smoking cigarettes, for instance, right? Uh, However, they can bounce you if you do harassing phone calls or, you know, uh, things of that sort. And they have some objective rules for corner cases, but they're very limited. Otherwise, they're a common carrier and they got to take everybody shows up. Uh, I see no reason in logic uh, that things like the App Store and the Google equivalent, things like Facebook and Twitter, uh, any, you know, any online system with more than, let's say, 5 million unique visitors a month uh, uh, couldn't be defined to be a common carrier and have 
requirement you know, and be regulated by the democratic process, uh, but which our constitutional rights would apply uh, where they, you know, I would, you know, in the regulation, if I were God, I'd write in, you know, transparency for things like, uh, you know, suspensions and disciplinary actions, including, you know, the, what was it, the Santa Clara principles, something yes. like that, where you had to document it, that provides statistics, make the code clear, et cetera. It's just not reasonable to give this much power to a handful of very peculiar oligarchs. I completely agree. I think that that is honing in on what would be a reasonable solution. And, you know, the the funny part of it is that they're limiting their own revenue with all of this censorship. So from a financial perspective, and they get a lot of heat about this from the mainstream media, but you know, the mainstream media will, will attack all big tech networks for saying, oh, you know, you're, you're enabling uh, this really harmful speech. And so, you know, you're, you're going to take it down. But again, this comes back to the data science argument about censorship. And the, the mainstream media is simply not looking at the holistic data set around the issue. They're just looking at sort of this shallow view on censorship that, you know, if you hide something, yes, it makes that isolated environment safe temporarily, but you're actually making the internet a much more toxic space overall. And so, you know, the media is very much at fault for this in alongside big tech because they are applying this non-empirical pressure on the networks to behave this way. Yeah, though it is up to them. They could just tell the press to go fuck themselves and they should, right? They should. Uh, what's, yeah. the press, what's the press, <laughs> what's, what's press going to do to Apple? Uh, Apple could buy the whole press industry for the cash <laughs> they have in the bank, literally, right? And, right. Uh, Facebook isn't far behind. They just go tell them, go fuck yourself. You don't want to give a shit what you think. Kiss my ass. Yeah, they, they don't have a spine. None of them have a spine, which which I am shocked by because it would only, t- I, I keep telling, say, saying all this publicly because if if any one of the big tech sites just said, you know what, we're going to switch course. We're going to open up all our code. We're going to have a reasonable speech policy. We're going to help the community. We're going to be, um, you know, much more of a transparent or, uh, corporation. They would win over the internet. Absolutely, it, they would. They would. And, and, <laughs> and of all the people, Zuck is the one that could do it. Right? Uh, he doesn't. He's never needed any cash, which pissed me off when he went public. I got you, stupid fuck. Right? Uh, your 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 <laughs> business is generating bazillions of dollars a year, more than you will ever need to grow your infrastructure. Right. And you put yourself out into the public markets where you're at the behest of all these morons and idiots and speculators and every other goddamn thing. Why wouldn't you just keep the thing private, run it the way you want? Uh, but no, he somehow got seduced into doing it. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, but, you know, he still has absolute control of Facebook, so he could do whatever the hell he wants. He, he's rich enough that he doesn't give a shit, even if his mm. net worth fo- fell by 90 percent. He'd still be one of the richest human beings on the face of the earth. And he would know that he had done something great and righteous. But he doesn't. Isn't he doesn't. that fucking pathetic? It is. It is wild that he, because I, I think of him as somebody who does desire social validation 
he he I I don't know how true the social network movie was. Um, some people say it's accurate. The Winklevoss twins say it's it's accurate. <laughs> um, uh, who are killing it in Bitcoin, by the way. But the the point is that I mean, unfortunately, Facebook was never fully about the people or free speech. the The policy was always weak. You know, there was always unnecessary censorship happening. Um, it was better back in the day, but it it was never, and they were never open source. They were never really abiding by true principles. But I would agree with you that they, you know, because of the power that he still has, he they are in the best position to do it. But I really do not think it will it will happen. the The other puzzling thing about Facebook is that you know they've got like Andreessen Horowitz and Peter Thiel on their board. These yep. guys are, you know, essentially libertarians. I know Mark pretty well, right? And uh, yeah, and and uh, yeah, and uh, Peter. I, I've met Peter a couple times, but uh, yeah, uh, and and I will say that you know things like uh, Zuckerberg's speech to Georgetown on free speech uh, was actually not bad. I almost threw open my mouth. I threw open my mouth when I heard that speech. Now, I it, you're right that it was not a bad speech because he was saying the right words, but. I it made me sick because they're just words. Yep. He's just using the words that people want to hear to satisfy, you know, whatever particular demographic he's trying to satisfy, but there's there's not he's not walking the walk at all and he knows the problems and so it's it's the internet would love Facebook to reverse co- course, and but you know they just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And so at this, we I, it may be beyond repair. I think that when you lose the public's trust to such a deep degree, not just with the speech stuff, but with the privacy stuff and and everything else, you know, even if you did reverse course, okay, yes, that would be better. I still recommend it, but I you the the trust is is lost. I I don't know if it can be regained. Yeah, our game B movement has had enough. We're moving off Facebook. We're building out a private network right now. Great. Uh, and uh, you know, if you guys had a private version of your platform, we might look at that. Who knows? But um, but yeah, I think it's time to say fuck Facebook. Frankly, uh, you know, the guy who's a bit better is Twitter, but you know, Jack backbone kind of has melted over the last five years also. Uh, and that's a goddamn shame. He doesn't have the control that uh, that Zuck has, but uh, he has you know a certain amount of moral authority uh, within Twitter. And you know he's he's kind of been on a you know, on a gradual and slower fold than than the rest of them, but a folding nonetheless. Though I do find it uh, encouraging that he's put together a team to explore uh, distributed open protocol uh, versions of uh, Twitter in the future, which could be interesting. Agreed. Yeah, Blue Sky Project Blue Sky is is definitely interesting. We're, we're using a number of the tools mentioned in in some of that research, and, but but it makes me equally disturbed when Jack goes on these these tirades, acting like he cares, and and maybe he does care and just doesn't have enough power. But the reality is that he's the CEO of Twitter. And if he objects so much to what they're doing, then he should no longer, he should leave. He should resign and have some principles. But he doesn't. He just sort of tries to appease both sides. And meanwhile, you know, the pervasive censorship uh, expands. And, you know, the, the, 
the interview to watch is when Tim Poole debated Dorsey and uh, his head of content moderation on the Joe Rogan podcast and just got absolutely destroyed by by Tim and his arguments and had nothing to say and talked about, oh, yeah, we want to offer uh, paths to redemption for users and you know we want to do better. And that's just all he says every time is we want to do better. And, but, but, but there's no substantive change that that's happening. And, you know, if a decentralized Twitter emerges, okay, like, cool, like, let's see it. I mean, until, and until it's here, it's just a lot of words. And we already got Mastodon, which is sort of a decentralized Twitter, you know, kind of high granular decentralized, but, uh, uh, you know, that's out there. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I think you guys have got a very, you know, I love everything you've said, you know, the fact that you're, uh, uh, got a wide ownership with nobody presumably having, uh, excessive control, uh, community ownership, open source, including the algorithms, right? Every part of it, right? And there's no holdback. Is that right? Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we might squabble a little bit about where, where to be on real names, pseudo anonymity versus full anonymity. But I think you guys are exploring that correctly. I love the, I actually had the jury idea years ago, so I'm glad somebody's actually doing it. Uh, I think it's brilliant that you're generating coins to reward uh, high signal. You know, in reality, a social network should be upregulating signal and downregulating noise. That's really its only job. And, uh, you know, the, you're at least upregulating re- signal with the coins. Now figure out how to downregulate noise and you'll have uh, you'll have the perfect social uh, network. I love the fact that you've invested in it. And you and I both know it ain't cheap to do this, to be able to build your system so it can run on multiple servers rather than just one. It's a lot easier not to think about that. But you guys have done that. So, uh, shit, I like everything I hear here, people. So go check out Mines, right? Yeah, and, and you know, on the Mastodon note, so they use a protocol called ActivityPub, which is this federation protocol. Which we're actually we we have uh, a project in progress now to implement ActivityPub, which and it is what enables Mastodon nodes to talk to each other. And so that's that's in progress. So we're gonna eventually be joining what's called the Fediverse. Um, which which is Mastodon plus Pleroma plus a, you know a handful of other frameworks which support ActivityPub, and so we're I, I love it. It's it's not the ultimate answer because you know the nodes are still subject to admins. You know ultimately we need to move towards a much more uh, user controlled approach where you know you you truly control your identity and 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 your data and i think that that's where web3 is really coming in and that 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 is what i am loving about the ethereum ecosystem if you've been playing around with with metamask and you know these wallets which are, are sort of the the beginning of decentralized identity where you can you know you're you're your Ethereum address, or which is the same address where you can accept mines tokens or you know many other types of tokens like the Brave tokens, and you can sort of you control that. That that's a browser extension that's connected to your mines account, and you can do various things with with that identity, engage in different platforms, and you know the scalability has to happen. But I it, it does seem to me the you know the first spark of something that that feels 
truly decentralized. Yep, and uh, I agree. I've had uh, MetaMask on my machine on one on one of my machines and only one of my machines uh, for since when December. 2017. So yeah, I'm, I'm a believer, a believer, but a skeptical believer, you know, you know that, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing this long enough to know what's real and what's hype and where the buying points are. So, you know, uh, we, we, we proceed, but with our eyes open, realizing we can only take one step at a time. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not, we're not trying to get uh, googly eyed over, over any specific little exciting project or integration and we're taking a, a balanced approach and trying to diversify so so because there, there's going to be multiple projects that coalesce to to bring us to you know a more liberated future i i i putting all your eggs in one basket is is not the solution it's refreshing to talk to you jim because it, you know you're you're one of the rare uh hosts who who i've talked to who who seems to have really done his research <laughs> and truthfully i had the advantage i've just lived it right i've been yeah. building stuff on the nets long before the internet existed and right on through the uh you know through, through the internet and hell i was the uh, theoretically the you know the most powerful chicken choker of them all when i was ceo of network solutions when we had a monopoly on the domain name system uh but in those days uh, we were real cast iron sons of bitches we wouldn't do a goddamn thing without a court order and uh, I got calls from the White House, told him to go pound sand, right? Uh, and uh, you know, I wish more of the CEOs today uh, had that kind of backbone, you know, have their policies. And, you know, somebody calls you up from the White House or from New York Times, tell them to go fuck themselves. But it's not that hard, right? <laughs> well, that's I didn't realize that. That's great to hear. So you were you were abiding by the Manila principles in a, in a hardcore sense. And I think from a for a domain uh perspective, it's a little bit more cut and dry than in the social networking sphere where, you know, you've got all this content and sort of sensitive personal information. But like, could, could you expand on that a little bit? Like, I'm, I'm curious if there's any stories you can tell about, you know, them trying to come after you for a certain domain. Oh, yeah, I happened all the time. And we just had to stay, you know, constantly, right? Both, uh, both uh, commercial uh you know entities you know that were claiming that this was you know selling counterfeit goods or whatever so you got to prove it in court no problem we will we will recognize mm -hmm. uh any court of reasonable jurisdiction within the united states thank you very much have a nice day and that was just our stock answer period and uh nobody ever challenged us on it and uh, uh that was just the way it was now I, I can tell you one other story a little out of school here uh how can I disguise it so it isn't too obvious? Anyway, during one of our random uh, wars of choice, uh, somebody in the National Security Council came and asked us to take a country's uh, country domain out of the root. Can you believe that? Hmm. Uh, you know what the root is. You know that's the you know dot the, you know dot us dot right. uk all that stuff. Anyway, this country which we were involved in a war of choice with. Uh, they, somebody literally asked us to take it out of the root so their internet would go away, at least at the domain level. And again, we said, you got to be fucking kidding me. Ain't no way. One, we don't have, we, we have the technical power to do so, but we do not have the uh, contractual authority to do so. We manage the root uh, 
as a fiduciary uh, for the U.S. Department of Commerce. And you're the U.S. Department of Commerce, goddammit. Uh, so uh, uh, you get them to issue us in writing, which, by the way, we'll hand over to the New York Times, uh, the request to do that, and then we'll do it. Uh, guess what? We never heard from them again. Stand your ground. Goddamn right. You know, it, it, there's there's very few companies who are are willing to do that anymore. And it, it feels like a phase it, it, it feels like a, an emotional phase that the country is going through, you know, both in, uh, individually and corporations. But, you know, ultimately, like we had major surges of growth from Thailand and Vietnam, you know, with authoritarian regimes. And some of these users will message me and people in other countries are honestly quite shocked at the sentiment around censorship that's happening in the US and, and the calls for it because you know we take these freedoms for granted over here but in in countries like Thailand where you know they'll actually go to jail for criticizing the government I mean they look at at people in the US calling for censorship over you know relatively uh, you know, tame stuff, or or even if it's not tame, they they just they look at us like we're crazy. Like, what are you guys doing? I had that conversation the other day with somebody in a, a non-Western country. He go, "God damn it! The one good thing you can say about America is it's free speech." What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> well, the corporations are the ones you know censoring in the U.S. and the people are calling for it. You know, luckily the government's not doing much much censorship over here, and so yeah, the. I don't think most people who are making these calls have much of a uh, have much experience, you know, researching what's going on around the rest of the world. Yeah, I think so. And I think as we talked about before, frankly, it's within the power of the peculiar tech oligarchs to just say no. And they should just do it. I mean, literally, you know, they just go buy the whole press and shut it down, right? If they continue to hound them, that would that would be wrong. That would be wrong. But uh, you know, they could do it. Uh, they don't need to worry about uh, you know what some thumb sucker and writer at the New York Times op-ed page has to say about them. Go f- tell them to go fuck themselves. You know, that's that's the right you have as an American. <laughs> I'd like to see some of these guys uh, grow grow a, a backbone and. Uh, Stand up tall and uh, stand up for free speech. Well, have you seen what's going on with all this uh, games, GameStop uh, trading mayhem? Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Today? Right? I mean, because now it's hitting financial markets and it's it's all just the push towards decentralization. But I mean, you know, the, the Wall Street Bets group getting banned by Discord and, you know. It's, it's wrong. I mean, the shit will reach its equilibrium. Yep. Hell, I had fun crushing a short seller on Network Solutions stock. Cost that motherfucker $160 million. Uh, ha, ha, ha. But it could have gone the other way, right? And eventually yeah. uh, the markets will figure out who's right and who's wrong. No, I was not bullshitting, guys. We actually did have the numbers. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, but you know, sooner or later, the markets will reach equilibrium. There's no need for anybody to uh, be manipulating it. People bid up the stock of uh, GameStop; they'll eventually lose their asses, right? <laughs> uh, or not, but most likely they will. But no, nobody's business to be intervening in that stuff. Right. It's it's beautiful to watch it, the mainstream tech people or just mainstream consumer waking up to what's going on with short selling and and how there's these leeches 
in the market sort of profiting off of the downfall of brick and brick and mortar businesses and just really unleashing the power of the crowd onto financial markets and you know obviously there's a lot of risk with that and you know unfortunately there's probably harmless investors who you know oh got excited about GameStop and now it's you know they're losing all their money and you know that's sad um but i don't think that wall street ever realized until now what the crowd can really accomplish and now it's just out there and so and, and you know they're forcing robin hood and cash app to to delist these stocks and it's all just bubbling to the surface and getting exposed and so it's uh it's exciting and i i, I think that it very it's very validating to the the new world of you know open source and decentralized tech yep indeed it's uh, and of course we have uh you know, decentralized finance coming as the, well, actually coming, it's here, uh, you know, as the new level of abstraction sitting on top of the blockchain stuff. So uh, it's a wild and crazy time we're in here. I'll tell you that. Yep. Got to, got to beast through it and just keep building, you know, don't, don't wait for anything. You just got to, you, you got to back up your community. You know, if you're a content creator, start building your own ecosystem control your list don't rely on on these networks that you know there's really no reason to trust you know use them for for a little bit for what they're worth but you have to control your own destiny yep indeed and you guys it sounds like you're doing a really good job i commend you for your whole approach everything i've heard here sounds great so uh listeners go if you're interested in looking at the uh leading alternative social network go check out minds.com this has been Jim Rutt and Bill Ottman. Thanks for a great conversation. Thanks, Jim. Production services and audio editing by Jared Janes Consulting. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com.